Welcome tonight. I'm so glad that you are with us this evening for our midweek Bible study. Uh, as we discuss, we're going to um, put the Gospel of Mark on pause until we come back after Labor Day because so many folks are traveling and on vacation. Somebody thought I was going to be on vacation tonight, and uh, that would have been nice, you know, but I'm glad I'm here with you this evening. I want to talk to you from the book of Ecclesiastes this evening. Actually, how I even came to preach this message tonight, and I just put the other in oil, I was preparing for a funeral. And while I was preparing for a funeral that I preached earlier this week, I was just reading, and I got to thinking, I really need to go through the book of Ecclesiastes with the congregation. And I want to do that one on a Sunday morning. But I was visiting with one of the men in our church who's 91 years old, took him communion this week, and we were reliving some moments of 25 years of sharing ministry together and his life and how God had saved him and what God had done in his life. He's a true hero. And um, I just, I love him so much. But then I got asked to do a funeral that I did. And as I was working on this, I thought, I need to share some of this with our congregation Wednesday night. So the title of tonight's message is Rejoice, Enjoy, and Remember. And I just got a reminder, I'm supposed to take the offering tonight. And so you should see details of how you can give on our Woodland Church website. And uh, I hope that you will join Becky and I in tithing and giving this evening. A 2005 article in National Geographic studied the three parts of the world that have the longest lifespans. One of them surprised me. One, two of them didn't. Okinawa and Sardinia uh, didn't surprise me so much, but Loma Linda, California. And the reason Loma Linda hit that spot is there's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists and they're vegetarians and they, of course, live longer. Well, a researcher by the name of Dan Butner began researching this even more, looking to see if there was other places in the world where people lived longer. And one of the places he discovered was a peninsula, and I'm not going to try and pronounce it, in Costa Rica. And in this peninsula in Costa Rica, it is very common for people to live into their hundreds. They live to be 100 years old or older. And when they looked at it, part of it was the water supply there in Costa Rica is incredible. I know their coffee is absolutely incredible from Costa Rica. But the, their exposure to sunlight but also their diet as well. But here are some other things. The people on this peninsula have a strong sense of purpose. They feel needed, they feel wanted, they feel loved. They focus on family. People that are over 100 years of age tend to live with their families and their children and grandchildren support them and they have a strong sense of being 100 and still having purpose in life. And I can't tell you how many times elderly people have said to me, I just don't feel like I have anything to offer anymore. But you do. And the particular man that I was talking about earlier this week, he says, Pastor, I just wish there was something I could do to help. And I, I called him by name and I said, there is something you can really do to help us. And I said, I need you to pray. I need you to intercede. I need to be able to call you and know that you're going to pray and in that rough voice, he says, well, I can do that. Well, of course we can. It's the greatest thing we can do. They have strong social networks. They know their neighbors, and their neighbors visit with them frequently. And they all seem to know the value, listen, not only of talking, 
but of listening. They're good listeners on this peninsula, and they appreciate what they have. They know the joy of hard work, even their chores that they do every day. So as I've thought on that article, and I do funerals sometimes for people that live to be in their 90s and sometimes even past 100, but I do far too many funerals for people who die in their 40s or their 50s, sometimes a teenager's funeral that I do, and those really break your heart when you do those. So I'd like us to go to the book of Ecclesiastes, and when I was speaking at this funeral this week, there were 17 grandchildren at this funeral, and I just knew then that what God had given me was for them, and I was telling my wife after the funeral, I said, it is amazing, even at the cemetery, how many of those teenagers were coming up, college students were coming up, and talking to me and telling me how much they appreciated the message. But this passage is not just for young people, it's for people in my age bracket and older as well. The Bible says this, when people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days and everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it is wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do and take it all in. And a lot of moms and dads would like to take that out if they have teenagers tonight. But there's not a teenager I know that wouldn't respond to that and go, yeah, that's right, do everything you want to do. But remember, you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry, keep your body healthy, but remember that youth for the whole life before you is meaningless. And that's true unless you give your heart to Christ. Because once you give your heart to Jesus, and God does give you purpose and meaning and significance in life. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. Remember Him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars is dim to your old eyes. Rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember Him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble. And before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, the women looking through the windows see, see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. I'm going to tell you, that's not a really great description of getting old, is it? You won't find that in the AARP magazine probably. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds. Again, he's talking to young people. Now you rise at the first chirping of birds, but all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worrying about danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom, and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. And the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your creator now while you're young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Will you join me in prayer tonight? Father, I find much to make me sober-minded. I find much to make me laugh here. Not in, in mockery, but just laugh, Lord, at the stages of life. 
but I find much that gives me hope and joy and makes me, Lord, <clears throat> want to serve you even more, even better. There's a song that Becky and I used to sing, Lord, we, we want to love you more, we want to know you more, we want to serve you more. And so I pray that as a result of looking at this passage of Scripture, you're going to inspire and encourage each of us to do just that. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Honey, I need you to come help me and hook this thing on the back of my collar. I'll be constantly adjusting this thing every night. <clears throat> I mean, all during the message. Number one, what I see in the Scripture here is rejoice in every day of life. Rejoice in every day of life. That is a command that God gives us. The problem that we have in rejoicing is a lot of our joy, thank you, a lot of our joy and a lot of our rejoicing is very superficial. We have a superficial joy. We, we don't know how to go deep with our joy. The problem sometimes is what we rejoice in rather than rejoicing in the Lord, as the scripture says, we tend to rejoice in everything else. When you look at nature and you see the Grand Canyon or you stare out over the Alps or you're riding a motorcycle through the forest and you're smelling the balsam and you're smelling the water from the rivers and the waterfalls, you can rejoice in creation, but if you really want to deeply enjoy the canyon or the Alps or the smells on your motorcycle, you learn to rejoice in the God who created all of this, brought all this into being and gave it to you and I to enjoy. You not just rejoice in the birth of a child, but you rejoice in God who loved you enough and trusted you enough to give you that child. That's why in verse 8, the Bible says, rejoice in every day of life. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'd like you to think about this, and I'd like us to think about it. What have you rejoiced in today? When have you rejoiced in the Lord behind or underneath what it is that you've enjoyed? If you enjoyed dinner this evening, or if you enjoyed lunch, or maybe you had a conversation that you really enjoyed, or you had a meeting that went really well, were you able to see God's invisible hand in that and God's blessings upon your life? I love what the Bible says here. Do everything you want to do. Do everything you want to do. Years ago, I preached on a passage, this passage to a group of students there were probably about 3,000 students that were there and and I sought counsel from theologians I sought counsel from pastors and what I discovered when I went to this passage do everything you want to do about half of them it scared them to death to be able to tell these students do everything you want to do I remember talking and I took a friend of mine who's an ultra, ultra conservative uh, pastor and I said, I want you to go with me. We're going to interview this professor that we both know and admire and love. And we interviewed her about this particular passage of scripture. And as we did, she said, you're both right. You're both right in that one, my friend, who's still a very good friend to this day, was afraid that it would lead people to a license and a liberty to sin. And she said, but on the other hand, Dennis is right and that it is an understanding of grace that God gives us desires when we're born again. If our hearts and minds are set upon him, God gives us the desires to do what we want to do. So oftentimes when somebody tells me, you know, I, I really want to be a physician. I really want to be an artist. I, I really want to be a surveyor. And I said, have you sought the Lord on this? Have you prayed about this? And let's pray and fast about this together. 
And if they still keep coming back, I want to do this. Do what's in your heart. Trust God to lead you because too often Christians get get hindered and even in bondage because they're trying to find the perfect will of God. Listen, the perfect will of God was Jesus. And there's enough of us that miss the perfect will of God every single day. The will of God would never get done if we all waited around for the perfect time and the perfect moment. And the book of Proverbs talks about that as well. The balance is, and this is what I took away from the professor that my friend and I were interviewing, is remember I must give an account to God. And I asked him to be there with me, paid his expenses. I wanted him to be there with me when I preached this message. Because after I went through that, the kids were on their feet. They were clapping their cheer. You know how kids do. They were just clapping and cheering. And then I went to this point. But remember, you've got to give an accounting to God. If you live self-centered, if you live for pleasure, if you live without honoring God, if you live taking advantage of other people, one day there's judgment that each and I, uh, each of us are going to face. And I think that's the balance here, is that the teacher has such great understanding of grace, but also of the fact that we're going to give an accounting. He tells us here, take care of our health. He tells us there, it gives us some good principles about living a self-disciplined life. And I made these sentences because I really want you to remember them. And I don't see anybody filling them out. So it's, they're there to help you fill them out. Remember, I must give an account to God. Uh, first one is do everything you want to do. Remember, I must give an account to God. Live a self-disciplined life. In other words, you have to be the one that's self-starting. And I'll catch you up later during our Q&A if you'd like. The fourth one, D, is make decisions with God's perspective. What does God have to say about what I want to do? And if, for instance, if your vocation or if you enjoy kite surfing, you're not going to find anything in the Bible about kite surfing, but you're going to find a lot in the Bible there about joy and about what relaxes you and what pumps you up. You're not necessarily going to find anything there about golfing or jogging. But the thing is, make your decisions with God's perspectives and remember that when you have privileges, as Spider-Man's uncle told him, you also have great responsibilities. I have privileges and I have responsibilities. And with those privileges come responsibility. Because this is what happens if we don't, look at me, if we don't go beneath, if we don't get beneath the surface of joy, if, we, if we're rejoicing in things without getting beneath the surface, diving deep into this, then we tend to forget God. And the more we or a culture forgets God, something dastardly begins to happen. It's happened time and time again in history. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 28. Because those people refused to keep in mind the true knowledge about God, they knew about God, he has given them over to corrupted minds so that they do the things they should not do. The worst thing you can do to your child is say, I give up. Do whatever you want to do. That's not what he's saying here when he says to you, do what's in your heart to do. But if you keep denying the God who created the universe and gave it to you, then eventually God gives you up to your own corrupt mind. So if we fail to rejoice God, then we reject him and we justify what we're doing and maybe even making the Bible say what we want it to say instead of what God says it says. Secondly, enjoy and honor your creator. Enjoy and honor your creator. I have to be honest with you. Enjoying God, 
was not at the top of my list of things even after I got saved. I was more frightened of God than I enjoyed God. I was more scared of God than I loved God. I have to tell you, it took me a long time to really come to understand grace. But coming out of the, the church background that I did and hearing about judgment and, and, and condemnation all the time and, and, and an extreme separation, being separate from the world, not being a part of this world, it took a long time for me to, to come to, to this thing that God wants to be enjoyed. God wants to be loved. And we honor God when we enjoy God. We honor God when we enjoy God. I, I enjoy my marriage. I enjoy my children. I enjoy my ministry. I always have. And when I enjoy the gifts that God has given me, I honor God by honoring those gifts. I honor my marriage. I honor my family. I honor our church. I honor the community that I live in. And that's what God calls us to do. Remembering God, and I can tell you this now, when I think of him, it brings joy to my heart. When I think of his love for me, when I think of his plans for me, when I think of his grace for me, when I think of all the times when all was lost and God put his hands underneath, I find myself rejoicing in the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1, I love how Eugene Peterson translated this in the message, Honor and enjoy your creator. A couple of quick quotes here. Charles Spurgeon, joy in God is the happiest of all days. Joy in God is happy. Not only was Spurgeon an uber successful pastor, people still read his messages and study him and quote him today, but Spurgeon battled clinical depression all of his life, but he found his joy and his strength in the Lord. The Westminster Confession, many of you grew up knowing that. I was a grown man before I ever knew it even existed. The Westminster Confession said man's chief end is to glorify God, say it with me, and enjoy him forever. Do you enjoy God? I mean, I enjoy your friendship. I enjoy the times that we're together. And I'm looking around this room and I'm thankful for those times we have. I'm having mental flashbacks right now of some of the fun things, some of the good things, even some of the challenging times that we've been through together. But they make those times and those friendships even deeper because some of us have been through trials, you've been through times of sickness together, or you've been through times of hardship, and we found that God has been faithful and undergird us. Let me tell you something. God started this, and he will end it. Daddy used to tell me, he said, don't start anything that you're not going to finish. And that meant in the barn, that meant at home. I started a new job. He said, don't start the job unless you're going to finish it. And so what God started, I promise you, God is going to finish. When you read, hallelujah, when you read how God created the world in the book of Genesis, those first three chapters are so powerful, and you read how it's all going to end in the Revelation, you can count on it. God is going to complete this thing. Number three, remember God's commands. Remember God's commands. You go, oh, pastor, now we're getting to the legalism. No, I beg to differ. I beg to differ because... The Bible says that God's commands are not burdensome. God's commands lead us to life. They become burdensome if you're depending on them to save you. They become burdensome if you're depending on them to justify you. They become burdensome 
if you're depending on them that you're going to use them like some mathematical formula and you're just going to make things work. Do you remember in that movie, Dead Poet Society, when Robin Williams had him start tearing the pages out of grading poetry on an algebraic scale? And he would, went around with a trash basket and they were tearing out the pages out of the textbook. He said, poetry is not math. Poetry is a matter of the heart. And friends, I got to tell you, if you try to work the laws of God or the promises of God as though it's on some sort of sliding scale, you will miss what it is to find the life that we have in Christ and loving him. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself in the entire law, and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I said a statement Sunday morning in my message, and that was, how I treat you reveals to you what I think of Jesus. Somebody asked me later, says, Pastor, do you really believe that? And I go, yeah, and I love you, and I will stand by you. I will be your friend. I will be a better friend to you when you go through a tough time than I am when you go through a, an easy time. Because when you're going through a good time, you really don't need me. I mean, you've got everything under control, right? But when we go through tough times, we need our shepherds there. And that's the key, is that when we fail, we don't kick people when they're down. God is not trying to take from us. God is a giver. For God so loved the world, he gave. The enemy is the one that constantly tries to take from you. And if he robs you of the source of joy that's behind all of creation, all of his gifts to you, or maybe you, you take the heart of the gospel out because you want to make it rules like the Pharisees did. But when you keep the heart of the gospel in, number one, you go deep to the source of joy. And I'm so thankful that I discovered this as a young man. One of the best things that ever happened to me was go to Southeastern University. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me because suddenly I was exposed to teachings on grace and I was exposed to teachings on that we weren't going to be perfect and that mistakes were going to be made. Secondly, the more I studied and I remember the doctrine that always petrified me was the doctrine of sanctification. Matter of fact, there was a group of people at this church that when I first came here 25 years ago, they believed in entire sanctification and that, you know, everything was legalistic. And so I was trying to explain to them from the Bible and show them that, no, this is a progressive work in our lives. And, you know, when I discovered that while I was studying and we went through the scriptures, I remember one day just falling on my face with joy and worshiping the Lord because I realized it didn't depend on me, it depended on God. And all of a sudden, right over here in our sanctuary, one of the individuals got mad and just started yelling. I go, see, you're sinning right now. You're not sanctified. That shut them up, but their face turned purple, and they didn't want to talk anymore. We like to guard our pet doctrine sometimes. But when you go deep to the source of joy, you find out that God is not watching over you to smack you down. God is watching over because he's wonderful. Second thing I learned is God is in control, not me. God is in control, not me. You know, your health can be taken away at a moment. Everything that you've saved can be taken away at a moment. 
let me help you see something, and you've lived through this with me several years ago, but God uses the marriage as symbolic of what our relationship to him is like. God calls us the bride. And I got to tell you, that's a really difficult one for me to get a hold of. We had a music pastor here one time that, you know, loved to sing a song talking about let Jesus kiss me on the lips. And I said, don't sing that anymore. I said, all, I said look at the congregation. All the ladies love it, but none of the men, they, they sang it only because they were being faithful. I said, that is weird, you know. And he goes, I've never thought about it that way. And I said, well, it's weird, okay. So it's hard for me to think about terms of the bride. But when I came back from India and Bangladesh so sick and that three years and all that that entailed, and I watched how my wife took care of me, I understood something about the relationship between Christ and the bride that I'd never understood before. Becky did for me things that I never thought anybody would have to do in my life again. And when my kids would gather around and be there, I saw things of what it meant to love your children the way God loves our children. And to see that, I learned things. Somehow or another in that time, life got deeper. Joy got deeper. It was tough. It was painful. It was three years long. Five major surgeries. But so much that we profited from that. You see, when a child falls down and you're, they're learning to walk, that child falls down. You just clap and you encourage them and you get say, come on, get up. You don't look at that child and say, you idiot, you just make me so ashamed. Nobody in the Clanton family falls down when we learn to walk. We don't do that. We go, those are insane parents. And I think the litmus test of understanding grace is what you think when you fall down. I think the litmus test of understanding grace is what you think when somebody else falls. It's the reason the Bible says that you are a spiritual. Come alongside them and restore them. That means mend them, heal them, considering yourselves lest you fall. I would caution you this finally tonight. Beware of believing the gospel but not remembering it. And I think that's what happens so often in our lives is we believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but we fail to remember how Jesus did ministry. Don't you love the chosen? Don't you just love watching it? Don't you love seeing the compassion, the mercy of Jesus, the love of, the power of Jesus, that when his cleanliness touches that which is unclean, they become clean. And under the law, what was unclean could never come into the presence of God. But when God touches us in our uncleanliness or our brokenness or our sin, we're healed and we're set free. Believe it, but also remember how Jesus modeled it and taught it for us tonight. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for your word from Ecclesiastes tonight. May we raise up a generation of young people, Lord, that they're on the vanguard. Lord, they're piercing the darkness. They know their God, and they're strong and mighty in him. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, good night. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. God bless you.